0: My name is the Reverend Sean Amos, and this is The Cause of It All. Venice Thomas is the daughter of Rufus Thomas, who is the famed Stax records producer, recording artist, began his career as a DJ, impresario. She is the sister of Carla Thomas, who, along with her father, their father, recorded for Stax and wrote and had a big hit with Gee Wiz. She is a daughter of Memphis, Tennessee. She's a recording artist, a singer for too many artists uh, to mention, uh, a lecturer, a world traveler. She's a beautiful spirit. We had a great conversation talking about her family, talking about the history and the future of Memphis, talking about the role of women in the blues and why she spent a lot of years running away from her family legacy before she learned to embrace it. It's a great conversation. I was happy to have her as part of the series. You'll hear us mention a woman named Betsy a lot. That's Betsy Brown of Blind Raccoon, who is a wonderful blues publicist and champion of blues artists like myself, like Venice. Uh, Betsy's the reason why we know each other. So uh, that's the mystery there behind who who is this Betsy. Anyway, enjoy this conversation with Venice Thomas on the cause of it all great to meet you miss venice thomas well we, we've we met before oh we saw each other you know i really right we were at, um what was that gig in memphis the, um... that's right at the
1: we, we we were all betsy's clients were having a Whatever, jamboree, um,
0: (laughs) blind raccoon jamboree, blind
1: raccoon jamboree. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I'm not sure she would like us referring to it. But
1: (laughs) that's pretty much what it was. (laughs) Yeah, you you guys were phenomenal. I really enjoyed. You you know. uh, Betsy, um has exquisite taste in choosing her clients she's really quite picky
0: she is particular I, I was uh you know i got introduced to her through a guy named dennis jones who's an l.a-based uh, guitarist who's really phenomenal okay. and when he, when he told me about her and i just barely gotten into the blue scene i didn't know anybody i was very self-conscious about how i would be accepted because i you know lived out in la and i'm this hollywood kid trying to play the blues and,
1: right, right. and
0: i'm some kind of fraud or whatever and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I sent her my cdm all shaken you know like you know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she took me on that was like the first sort of uh you know uh, like validation you know i, I got mm-hmm. you know, was her taking me on i'm like okay well i guess she I'm,
1: did the same thing with me you know of course she she had lots of you know folks in memphis you know that she could validate me through but that didn't matter until she had heard the music
0: gotta hear it yeah man you know, name, so, name doesn't matter yeah yeah you yeah, got yeah. the name but do you have the uh the goods you got the goods <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so glad we're having this conversation um me too thank you you know i i'm, I'm we're doing this album that's coming out in a little bit And it's the first time I've covered a bunch of blues things. I know you've done similar, uh, uh, the album you made for your father. Um.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Actually, those were, except for one song that I did with, um, as a duet with Daddy, which was his, one of his songs from his previous album, Uh, everything on there was original. So all of my blues albums have been, um, you know, my own writing.
0: Why not? I, I I had this weird, I've had this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's a full circle or not. I mean, it's too too soon to be a full circle, I guess. But yeah, I, I started covering stuff because I just didn't really, I was so in love with all these great blue songs that I just, Absolutely. I, just I, didn't, I didn't want to write anything. I didn't feel I had anything to say yet. And mm-hmm. then I slowly with every album started including more original stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. the last uh, three albums have been all originals. And then with this album, I just, you know, there's so many old covers that I've been wanting to do forever and wanting yeah. to do them in a stripped down way would, and that's sort of like in that vein of buddy guy and, yeah. and Junior Wells and Sunny Terry Woo. and Brownie McGee, that kind of thing. Cause that's kind of lost, you know, that sort of duo tradition is sort of lost a bit.
1: When you say Sonny McGee, it makes me think of, uh, uh, uh Brown, I mean, Brownie McGee and uh, Sunny Terry, you know, the, their duet hoot and holler, yeah <laughs> that that was the theme song for daddy's radio show really many many years
0: right on ah, I... ah, <laughs> it's a great great song they're so great man I, I lived next to a guy once who took um uh harmonica lessons from sunny terry like really he, Sonny was playing out at the ash grove of this famous la nightclub back in the day out in santa monica how and for cool some reason, that? like, he talked him into giving him some harmonica lessons. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the album's, like, been this way of me sort of getting in touch with the ancestors a bit and, and getting in touch with... <laughs> yes. and, and it got me thinking a lot about you know, how we carry it forward and, and mm-hmm. particularly how children of those ancestors carry it forward. Yeah, I, I'm not... my. Yeah, I have my own relationship with my father and sort of, you know, legacy and, you know, mm-hmm. what I, what I want to hold on to and what I'm sort of wish I could shake off. Uh, but my father's not a musician. Right. And, and and so I'm, I'm, I'm been really curious about how, you know, folks who grow up, you know, in the midst of the architects of this music, you know, it sort of forge their own, you know, path and, 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 and their own, re- and how, how it has informed their own relationship with the music. And so.
1: That's, Yeah. That's an important thing. Well, and and thank you for inviting me to to talk about that because I don't often, unless you know, I have an interview or you know a, a lecture or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for yeah, yeah. So
0: that's why, yeah. It, so I guess I, I'm I guess I talked to uh, Zakiya Hooker the other day, uh, John oh, Lee's daughter. Really? Yeah, and um, and she's wonderful. We were together uh, ages ago doing a box set on her dad. Um,
1: wow, and is she, is she in your area?
0: She's in Georgia. She lives in Georgia. Okay. okay. Yeah, she lived in Oakland for a long time, which is when I met her years mm-hmm. ago. And then uh she she moved to Georgia probably maybe 13 or so years ago. Okay. Uh, a little small town. She calls it was it like oh my god, she's like you know, Georgetown, KKK Georgia. What <laughs> is <was like, laughs> Oh, that was Georgia, That's George. Anyway. That's no joke. Yeah, <laughs> but I asked her. Yeah, you know, you grew up around this stuff, right? And and you grew up around you know, your father's music and so yeah. many people. And I want to talk about Memphis, you know, a bit more. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're a kid, right? And so I guess at what point did it dawn on you that what you were witnessing or what you had witnessed was really important? <laughs> oh, that that didn't.
1: Well, you know, it struck me as important, but I was busy running from the music business. <laughs> so I wouldn't let myself accept it as as a part of me because I was, um, you know, when you're young, you you see too much too soon. And I didn't really want to be in the music industry. So what do you want to do? I, um, I majored in French in college and I wanted to be a linguist. Wow. Yeah. So, um, That's I had opposite. gone to school in France for a while and, um, I just, I was busy running away. So I didn't accept the legacy yet.
0: Well, why'd you run away? What, what did it mean to you at the time? So you're running, why was it worth running away from? What, what did it mean? To um, you? Yeah. The, the music business,
1: as you know, is is not always fun. I also have a sister who was in the business as well, Carla Thomas, yep. and it wasn't always very kind to women. That's a, a story for another day. Sure. But so what I had seen, kind of like, as you said, informed my decision about uh, becoming a professional musician. So... I went to college and then I stayed in the Philadelphia area and little by little started to get myself into the business a little bit. I recorded with a girlfriend of mine. We had a couple of record deals. I played with a local band um, in Philly and still I wasn't dealing with the Memphis legacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just doing Pop and R and B, um, and I never ever told anybody who my father was unless they asked.
0: Did you go by? Did you use a different name? I mean, Thomas is a pretty you know,
1: no, pretty, no. I didn't use a different name. Yeah. I just you know, it didn't occur to anybody. Sure, sure. You know Thomas that I was related. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I say I moved back to Memphis. And then moved to New York. It was when I got to New York that I realized what a goldmine that I had in terms of my background. Um, Because Daddy had been a DJ as well as an artist. Um, All that music was in my home and was in me. And I started to accept this wealth of of information and influences, yeah. So I it, it took a long time for me to say, yeah, this is okay.
0: It's who you are, right? I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's sort of. Yeah. It, it seems like you think you think you're denying not denying. You, you think you're creating your own identity by running away from a lot of stuff, and in the yeah. end, you're sort of denying yourself of your identity in a way. Th-
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I'm. I'm, I'm deep in it now and i um, I'm so proud to share uh, like I said I do lectures. I used to teach at uh, city college in New York oh, wow. and uh, so I'm used to doing webinars and, and things like that to you know let young folks know what this is all about and uh, so i'm I'm now really proud to share it.
0: So I'm interested in that. So you have this life as a as a performer and you sung with everybody. Yeah. As, as well as recorded, you know, your own stuff. So you have you have this no. performance life. And anyone I know will say performance is performance, whether you're speaking, or whether you're singing. But it, right. there, there are two different things. So how do you do you see them as all part of the same work? The, the the sort of the lecturing and the speaking and the performing? Is that all part of the same sort of mission for you? And if so, like what, what is that mission for you?
1: Yes, it is. And I'm glad you used the word mission because it's not something I choose to do. Uh, It's something I'm, you know, it's just God gave me this to do.
0: Yeah, with all of this Um, for sure.
1: And um, so when when I speak, I always sing when I speak. So, you know, when I do my webinars, I'm sitting there at the keyboard, you know, playing along and, you know, interspersing the music but teaching has always been uh i say an avocation but it really is as much a vocation as my singing they go together and so um i want to teach this history i i did um a whole album it wasn't about the blues but that you might have been referring to that earlier um i did an album called um women of soul part one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I talked, well, I, I sang the songs of these women who'd been so instrumental um, in my early life and in my sister's early life. Um, and it was real important for me to talk about women as songwriters and producers, yeah. Betty Wright, for example, uh, who was one of the greatest singer songwriters ever yeah. um so that that was important for me to do then i still wasn't hooked into the blues yet but i was hooked into the the teaching and the sharing the information what
0: well i, I, I want to ask you what got into the blues but before i do i, I want to talk a bit about sort of women in, in particularly black women mm-hmm. in, so, you, so you grew up in memphis yeah. and you, you mentioned seeing how rough the the business was and is to, to some degree still mm-hmm. especially to women how did you how did you see black women being treated or viewed in in the in, in memphis sort of when you were younger mm-hmm. uh, then and, and 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 how much has changed now it's a really
1: good question um uh, I have a song called, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> that, that's pretty much how I feel about it. I saw really two sides of how women were treated in Memphis. And I'm talking about Black women. Because I grew up in Jim Crow, you know, the, the era um, where Blacks weren't b- being treated well, just in general. Uh, so that was a part of the, the culture at that time. So there were separate Black and white entities, cultural entities. Uh, but because Daddy was on WDIA, which was the first Black radio station, I don't know if you know that, for programmed Black music in the nation.
0: Now, is that where B.B. King? Uh, That's correct. Got to start B. as well. B.B. King, yep.
1: uh, uh, Daddy, uh, they were all Black announcers.
0: Right. And they still broadcast now, don't announces. they? Is, 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 mm-hmm. is WDI still on the radio? It's still on the air? Oh, absolutely. Yep.
1: Yep. WDI is still there and still playing the blue show that Daddy uh, created. Right on. Uh, and still very important in the Black community. And that's how it started uh, having all Black, really articulate. Um, black announcers, including two women, Willa Monroe and um, Steinberg. uh, First name will come to me in a minute, but um, Martha Jean,
0: Martha Jean 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 Steinberg.
1: Steinberg. Yeah. She eventually moved to Detroit and was on the radio there as well.
0: So two black female DJs. Female DJs. And and what year are we talking about? We're
1: talking about 19... 50. Wow. 50. This was before I was born, but the radio station went on the air for black programming in 49. Mm. And um, by 50, they had hired BB and daddy, uh, several others, but Willa Monroe and Martha Jean.
0: That is groundbreaking. And
1: yeah, it was so cool that we could, claim this as a part of our heritage. And now, you know, it's a part of this this legacy worldwide to have black DJs. And the women there, that's the two things I was gonna tell you. They were well treated by the powers that be and by the community that they served. Uh, Very well respected. They were both very articulate. Um, all of the DJs were. Um, they hired um, teachers and and speakers. Those were the people that we saw as our role models. Right. So that that was a good thing for me to see those women. You know, because Daddy would take me to all these shows and stuff that WDIA put on, and I'd see those women, and they were just shining examples. Of, of what I could be in the community, you know?
0: Uh, what a great role model. Great role oh, model. Oh, yeah. To have.
1: But the other side, of course, was the degradation that came with segregation and having to be separate, a separate community. But in a way, it, it made us stronger as a community. Um, and my sister, for example, um, was. You know, she and daddy started Stax Records. And so to not have her ultimately well-respected by the label um, was was really difficult for me to see. She hired her own promotion people. She hired her. You know, the the company was not supporting her as either a Black writer, songwriter, which she wrote G-Wiz, Yep. You know, which was her biggest hit. You should. Or um, or a producer, or to promote her um into the broader community. Like she was on Johnny Carson, she was on Merv Griffin, she but she was doing those things for wow. well,
0: She had to hustle for her own promotion because yes. behind her. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. So
1: and I know that um, you know, Betty Wright and um uh, who, who am I thinking of? Um, Betty Swan. Um, all those women in the early 60s. Big Mama Thornton, if we go back to the 50s, she wasn't promoted, even though she was a great songwriter. Elvis had the big hit. Right. And she had a regional hit.
0: Right.
1: Um, so, you know, all of these examples, I think, are pinging off of me. As I'm growing up. Yeah, for sure. And I'm proud to be a part of this this community of black women that were doing great things. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have the um, exposure that I have now if it weren't for these these great women. Sure.
0: And so. to navigate, I, I imagine because you saw it, you had such a front row seat to all of that. Yeah. You were able to navigate it. Um, better <laughs> or, or, or more, um, more, more ably yeah. than the women came before. Cause you just, you know, you saw what happened and then you could, I of, did, I did. And like I said, because of that, I avoided it for a while. I also learned to
1: navigate it because my, both my parents were really big on education. Um, You know, daddy was a very well-spoken, you know, people talk about his, his jive talk on his records and how he he did when he was performing, but they forget what an articulate, well-educated guy he was, and wh- you can hear this in a lot of interviews. If you get any of his live interviews,
0: I've got to send you a link. So this I had really a really moment of sort of six degrees here, where so during you know, the quarantine during the last year. Uh A friend of mine uh, sent me a link. So, Hey, you should check out this show Mm -hmm. Uh, called black omnibus black omnibus. I remember black omnibus. So my father was the talent booker on Black Omnibus.
1: Get it. My, my dad
0: was a talent agent so he, he, oh my. he was he was the first black agent in the business he worked he was a, he was a black agent William Morris first black agent. Oh
1: my year. God, incredible.
0: He, he booked all the Motown acts he worked right? with the animals uh, Simon Garfunkel. right and, he, and they left William Morris because they wouldn't promote him to be the head of the department because they didn't think a black guy should be the head of the department. Mm-hmm. Um, and he moved to LA with me and my my mom so I was like one years old. Mm-hmm. And, so that's uh, how you wound up in LA. So I went up in LA, he started doing all these, uh, you know, started managing some actors, some stand-up comics, a few singers. And but he booked Black Omnibus, and mm-hmm. I was in the audience for those shows as like a, a five-year-old, maybe. I, and I don't, I have no recollection of it. But wow. this guy, friend of mine, said, "Hey, this this show is up on Amazon. Now. You should check it out." And okay. I, I, I'm in the audience as a little, you know, five. You can six, see yourself. Six, see myself you watching audience. your father. No. He had. He, he was on one of the episodes. Oh! <laughs> Is it on YouTube? It's on Amazon. I'll, I'll say it's, it's on, on Amazon. Amazon. Send me, yeah,
1: Send me the link. Okay. Wearing these
0: crazy yellow pants or something. Oh, that's
1: him. And
0: the cape. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. He, he he was interviewed afterwards. And and to your point, just like this. And then the whole show, Black Omnibus, was this just display of black excellence. It was Absolutely. Like Alex That's, Haley. Was I'm on glad it. you put it that way. It was great. Oh, my God. I mean, Alex Haley was on it. He'd just written Roots. Like, hadn't been published yet. Like, he just finished writing it. and was wow. talking about this book that was about to come out. Uh, and, and your father was on and um, God, James Earl Jones was the host. It was just it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, and I are so- we glad that we had those kinds of role models to, yeah. to look at at an early age? Yeah, but below the surface, right? I mean, it's, it's really, we had them in our own community, you know, but so few of them break out wider. I mean, the, the, the number of obstacles that are created to, for, yes. for, the, for the wider audience to see it, whereas the wider audience – sees you know the worst of us you know versus the best of us most of the time i agree uh, which is a shame so i guess the other part of that is with women is like how women are portrayed in blues songs in particular i mean it's you know it's funny i a lot of my favorite older blues artists you know particularly put through a 21st century lens you know Mm -hmm. it's challenging sometimes for me to sing some of the songs you know, of even the, songs i love singing as, as as early as five years ago you know, now. yeah, yeah. now I, I wonder did you have any sort of opinion on that sort of like you have, have this, you know these this view of black female excellence through the djs you saw and through you know your sister of course and others and then on the other hand you see how women are portrayed in these songs yes. um, and did, was there a dissonance for you there or? there
1: is a dissonance uh there still is for me um yeah. which is why I began writing my own songs. I and this album that I'm I'm working on right now for next year um, is an example of how we can um, how blues is is evolving and how we can help it evolve thematically and musically. Um, Because it doesn't have to be the same old, you know same old that's sitting on the front porch you know playing the guitar rocking away but it can be a lens like you say the the lens that we use can be for example i'm writing a song about it's it's sort of about an abused woman mm-hmm. and you know how we can get get past that i'm not afraid or ashamed to sing those early songs. Uh, for example, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, that's out right now. It's a great movie. And she was a great woman, someone who stood up for herself because she knew her value.
0: Yeah, and no one else would.
1: And no one else <laughs> would stand up for her. or And the only thing they saw was the voice. And I've been through that Uh, in signing record deals. Uh, I had a production company tell me, you know, that if I didn't do what they said, they would tear up my contract. I've been through that. These were people of color. They were not white. Wow. Yes. So it's, it's still a male female thing.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: Uh, that didn't go over with me too well because I told them what they could do with their contract. And I walked out and um, the record came out anyway. (laughs) So I am not afraid, like I said, afraid or ashamed to sing those songs because they're a part of our legacy and they do reflect the culture even the current culture. Yeah, true. So I don't think we have to be uh, afraid to to sing them, but I do believe that we have to reflect all of our culture, not just the negativity or the "my man done me wrong" kind of song.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you bring up this point about yeah, you know, it's it's a balancing act of how do you honor the past, you know, yes. and, and at the same time bring the bring us forward and bring the mm-hmm. genre forward and bring the art form forward. And I, I, right. I try and I'm always struggling with that in my own work, where on one hand I'm so in love and so um, grateful to the blues for having given me a lens into myself, into my history. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I really struggled with my own blackness For so many years, because I grew up in white neighborhoods, I went to white schools, I was the only black kid around, Mm -hmm. I had virtually no exposure to my own culture, except through whatever media existed at the time, and certainly Mm -hmm. blues was not on mainstream media in the 70s and 80s. Well, thank
1: God for your dad and what he was
0: doing to expose you. To, to the culture. He was doing his best, right? Yeah. But, but in my day-to-day life, I was only black a, around, right? And so all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I discovered the blues. I'm like, oh my God, I, I, it just like hit me on this primordial level where yep. I finally understood, you know, I could identify things inside of me. I was never able to identify before. And it gave that's me- this, real. I, that's real important. It was heavy and it gave me the sense of identity that and and, and understanding about myself that I I, sort of like I got the owner's manual to myself for the first time. (laughs) Right. Oh, this is how I ought to go. (laughs) This is how it works. This is where it came from. so I'm grateful for that. And every time I sing a lot of those old songs, it 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 taps me into that again. It's 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 restorative in a way. But at the same time, it's limiting and 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 I and, and I fear that so many um Fan both both practitioners of the blues and fans of the blues, you know, they're so enamored with that the simplicity of the form, just mm-hmm. super cool and attractive. Uh, but then they limit the lyrical content, right? I mean, you know, with, with the limitations of the form. Yep, I agree. And, and, and then I'm like, I and, and 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 it's difficult. That last time I put out Blue Sky, I, mean, I was pushing lyrical ideas all over the place and i was mm-hmm. nervous i'm like man i hope that i was expecting to get you know shot down by people yeah right. it, it was okay so i, I think there's willingness there but it, it doesn't come naturally i i don't think to, to blues fans nor to blues i agree mm-hmm.
1: i agree with that and um it doesn't keep me from like you say pushing the edge of the envelope have and, to. and helping the the art form to evolve
0: yeah have to, we have gotta to. Do that. have to so what do you what do you see I guess in in your own, you you speak, you, you, you lecture, you, you perform your own music, you give yourself to others, you know, to, to help realize their own music. And and so do you, like what part of this is you, I guess, where's your responsibility to lie to yourself in terms of like, you're, you're, you're a woman, you're a black woman, you are, you are part of this legacy of, of your, of your father and your family. And, um, You know, do you sort of where's your where where do your allegiances lie? (laughs) Lie? Yeah, do do you feel a a sort of responsibility? Like, where's where's the greatest responsibility lie for you as as you're sort of moving through your musical life?
1: Um, Sharing it uh, Mm -hmm. is my greatest responsibility to the widest possible audience. So that the the wider community doesn't get the idea that the only valid practitioners of blues are white people. That's, I'm on that kick right now. Uh, I feel that we as Black artists yourself and, and me and all the others who are practitioners of the blues um, are being shut out of our own genre. Uh, so my to me, my greatest responsibility lies in sharing that story and making sure that you and me and everybody else of color From whom this, you know, this earth, this earthy music came is able to still share it. Um, For example, uh, and I'm probably cutting my own throat by saying this, but a lot of radio plays the rock edged blues. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And where are we? the um the people who created it where do we fit in the story so uh i'm grateful that betsy takes on sometimes unknowns in the in the blues world to make sure that people of color are still getting heard and um It's interesting. We can go on the road and be in venues, maybe not even so much in the venues, but certainly, you know, go on the road and be in little clubs and stuff like that. But in terms of the wider community, uh, you know, Channel 13, NPR, uh, all of the things that would have the broader community Know who we are and from whence we come; those things are withheld from us. And I,
0: that's I'm on a I'm on a crusade right now. Yeah, we share the same mission to a large degree. I mean, I yeah. I, I, I agree with you that there there's it. It seems that the gatekeepers um, yes. you know, ha, have a, have a view of what a blues musician should look like. You know, yes. what a blues song should sound like if it is to be presented to a wider audience, not just yes. a niche audience. And, and they're really sort of two blues communities. I was talking mm-hmm. to Zakia about this a little bit. You know, there's sort of what you see when you go to blues festivals and when you right. go to sort of hardcore blues events. And that's right. what you see when a quote unquote blues artist is dropped into a various artists bill right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and as like you said it, it, it's typically a rock artist you know yeah. who who's got this sort of hard edge you know blues thing about them and that gets presented as what authentic blues is uh, and everything that's b- beneath the tip of that iceberg is yep. just f- underwater for no one to see unless you're for, a that, that's
1: fan. a very good analogy yes tip of the iceberg and the rest of us sort of bubble under and yeah. and hope to um, get our art out
0: there yeah for sure hey can i talk about france for a second so did, did, sure. did you, you lived in france for a while Is, I did. Did your, your love of the language sort of led you there
1: uh my, yes yes exactly i i went my first time in between high school and college um for it was called the experiment in international living and they did these exchange programs and so i lived there for um eight weeks this (laughs) this was an interesting story the family that i lived with the french family the they had a um sort of how old was he at the time he might have been 20 or 21 he was Mm. He was a young cat and he was real, real hip, you know, wore leather jacket. He, he was trying his best to be, you know, what that was at the time. <laughs> and I was looking through his, his his album collection. He had an extensive album collection. And I found all daddy's records, all Carlos
0: records.
1: And he didn't know, you know, who I was. Right. I just thought it was so cool. I love um, it. So and, and I and I also re, um recognize, I think, that even then, um, Europeans appreciated uh, black music.
0: Well, this is why I ask because you know it, uh, Europeans certainly appreciate our culture more than we appreciate our own culture for mm-hmm. sure. And anyone who is a black musician playing blues or or soul knows that playing in Europe is often more gratifying, you know, than playing in America, you know, for, yep. for the way that, that they revere uh, our music. And and there's a long tradition of, you know, black expatriates from, you know, James Baldwin. To, Absolutely. You know, and so, um, yeah, so I, I, that's part of why I asked that. I said, you know, d- d- how did that- And I wound up
1: well, going back. Um, I went to, to school there my junior year abroad, but then I went back to live and, um, I was fortunate enough to work with, I don't know if you know who Claude Bolling was.
0: No, the name Claude vaguely Bowling. rings a bell, but- but, but, but and, he,
1: and he just passed away at the end of, of 2020. Uh, he was an Ellington aficionado. He um, was a band leader um, and a composer, mm-hmm. but also an arranger. Um, and he he did a lot of Ellington music. He had a regular gig on Sundays, which I sang with him at the uh, Le Meridien, the hotel in Paris. Nice. And I was doing all Ellington stuff. Oh, it was so cool for me. Um, and he he was so well known. I was very proud to have sung with him.
0: I'm embarrassed. And, I'm not uh, familiar with him.
1: Recorded with him. I did some Ellington records.
0: So how was I mean? You must have having that experience as as, as a Black American living in France, yeah. uh, and then coming back to the states. Were you was it jarring in any way?
1: Um, not really jarring because at the time, I was still kind of not fully ensconced mm-hmm. in in music. Um, that was an opportunity that came to me, and I and I'll tell you how this this happened. Dee Bridgewater, who is now a friend of mine, who I
0: didn't know at the time. Beautiful voice, not a beautiful voice. Oh
1: my gosh. And i a
0: beautiful person. Yeah.
1: And and from Memphis,
0: which most people oh, really? don't know. I did not know that. Most
1: people don't. She's so sophisticated, so this and that. And now she's doing R&B. She's totally changed her, <laughs> her thing. Uh, but Dee Dee was then doing Broadway and she had moved to France and was um, recording with Claude Boland. She decided to come back, I think, to do a Broadway show. And that's when I landed in France. And I replaced her with Claude Boland.
0: Right on. Nice little lineage. It's there. an
1: interesting little
0: <laughs> side
1: thing. You never know who's, whose paths you're going to cross. Absolutely.
0: You know? So tell me... I tell me about memphis like memphis's place in the blues as you see it and and, and i i love memphis and I, I you know i i go there well not with covid but yeah i'd gone there at least you know once or twice a year for for a mm-hmm. long time i recorded you know part of an album of mine at royal studio yeah, yeah, and, yes. uh, and a bunch of i albums. just
1: contacted him yesterday because i'm gonna go soon and and record some more. And oh, speak, nice, God,
0: man! Recording a Royal is just a whole otherworldly experience. It, it's man. all that, ain't it? <laughs> so, oh my God! But I, you know, I, I just, Memphis is one of these places where you, you, undoubtedly, the minute you step, you know, into the place, you, you feel its history and you feel, you know, the, 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 the weight of it and the soulfulness of it. It's just, there's not a lot of cities like that. I mean, New Orleans has it for sure, right? Um, right. you know, and and but yeah, there's not a lot of cities where you sort of can just feel this like thick vibe in the air that's just wholly its own and at the same time i was I, just I, gonna
1: say just there are two sides to that coin
0: i you? know and i've said this forever people it's like man it, it, this place is like what it's sort of its own worst enemy in, mm-hmm. in, in a way mm-hmm. and it's so I'm so tired of like, this is the year it's gonna happen for Memphis. This is the year Memphis comes back. This is the year <laughs> I keep thinking it's, this it's the, yeah, this city
1: yeah. has potential.
0: Well, when is it gonna realize? Yeah, and, and so I'm just I'm sort of curious about like, because you viewed it your whole life, and I know you don't live there anymore, but you used to obviously you're once a child of Memphis, always a child of Memphis, and mm-hmm. you go back. Like, what is it about Memphis that created this music and this history? And 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 then the flip side, what is it about Memphis that that prevents it from? sort of fully flowering?
1: That's a, a very good good question and a good way to put it. Fully flowering. Um, well, and the history, as you know, um, and sometimes when I, I have a, a long time to lecture, like I, if I'm in college and I have a three-hour class, I can start from the beginning, which was Memphis's location Um, geographically had a lot to do with what happened there culturally. Uh, On the Mississippi River, up and people on barges and boats up and down the river, um, transferring their culture, adding a little bit to the culture as different people came through. Mm -hmm. Um, And until Reconstruction, that didn't Go the other direction. You know, African Americans were not moving up the river and out of Memphis um, until after the Civil War. So they weren't really able to take their culture uh, uh, out of Memphis until later. So Memphis kind of was the stopping point. If you were coming from Mississippi or mm-hmm. Arkansas or uh, even New Orleans, if you were coming from Louisiana up the river, Memphis was the stop. Right. And as a result, it it got rich with all this, uh, you know, um, other people's history. Uh, what Memphis became sort of the mecca. Um, and when the musicians were moving up, they were bringing their stuff. They were. Um, just as influential or maybe more so than anything else with changing Memphis in into the place that it is it's a port um, city.
0: It's funny. you think about it. I mean it's a port city like like yeah it's a port you know, city. the, the, the yeah. great port cities of the world that's a similar you know pattern that happens
1: absolutely. so um, I respect all of that greatness, like all of the you know the Robert Johnson story about the crossroads and um, coming up to to Memphis because Memphis was the big city. Right. You know, if people were coming from Louisiana, uh, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, they they couldn't wait to get to Memphis. That's those. where you went
0: to make it. I mean, that, that's what people forget. I mean, Memphis is where you went if you wanted to hit the big time.
1: That's it. That, that was the place to go and the place to be. And it had Beale Street which was the Mecca for black artists. Um, So we had our own culture, our own um, society, our black banks, black everything. And that created um, an atmosphere of uh, confidence in, in one way, but the broader community was so oppressive That that confidence went only so far. Uh, They, as Daddy used to say, uh, white folk want everything we got. They want they want big butts, big lips, brown skin, uh, curly hair. They want everything we got except for don't call us black.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So true.
1: (laughs) And you know the quote of if you. Black on Beale Street for one Saturday night, uh, you never want to be white again.
0: (laughs) I heard that one. That's great. Yeah, that's
1: that's one of (laughs) daddy's quotes. So um, Memphis has all of that, that richness, but also, like you say, when you said that weight, that weight is oppressive.
0: Yeah.
1: And it never... Has gone away, um, especially since the uh, murder of Dr. King.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we can't seem to get past it. Um, we uh, African Americans are hard on themselves, and uh, white folk are hard on us too. Yeah. So I think that keeps us as a city from from flowering.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful history lesson, and 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 well said. And it's a it, it's it's a it's it's just the great tragedy. I mean, of of uh of that of that place to me. Yeah, you know I mean, it, it is. It's, it's, it's not a tragic city by any stretch of the imagination. You I mean, know, some tragic things have happened there, but mm-hmm. th- th- by tragedy, I mean that it just that there's still so much. Um, there's just so much there that that just can should be unearthed and and. And, mm-hmm. and um,
1: cultivate it from the folks that are there. Yes. Now, there are always people coming through. Like we were talking about, we go there to record. We, um, uh, you know, people come from England, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they want a part of this thing, they want to feel it. Um, but we need to cultivate the folks that are there.
0: From within. Oh, these happen from within, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a tragedy of so many Black communities to have all this potential, which is just, you know, how do we get out of our own way? Number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and two, um, you know, how do we, I mean, it's, it's not a handout thing, but you know, th- th- there's just such real damage that has occurred yes. because of, of years of systemic racism and years yeah. of being robbed yeah. of, uh, of of control of power of ownership um uh, of just basic you know means to hold a family together societally right. you know um and that's the lot of stuff i'm trying to pack in my own life is yeah, you know, there's this this sort of this ancestral generational pattern that we've yes. created you know that because of this how we were brought here from day one you know yeah and it's a miracle that any black family stays together it's a miracle that any Absolutely. black business can you know can sort of, thrive yeah you know, g- given the headwinds are constantly you know put in front in, in front of us um, yeah so true and so i uh, I, I you know Mem- but memphis is just like to me it, it is sort of the classic case study in that you know it's it certainly that that's a good way to put it case study if you're gonna so. look at how
1: damaged a community is and it Keeps keeps it from flowering. I'm
0: going to use that from now on. That's that's a great way to put it. Yeah, because it's because it's there. I mean, it's in the soil, right? I mean, that place is rich. I mean, it's yeah. not because there are places that have been stripped, right? I mean, there are communities that have been like strip mined, so to speak. Right. It, so it's, it's not there anymore. It's difficult to see anything growing there again, you know, yeah. um, but not Memphis. I mean, like not that, Memphis, so- that soil this. is still really rich. Very rich. Is still there, right? And you can go up. on
1: any street corner, any time of day or night and and hear incredible music and it, any church, you know, there are churches in Memphis on, on every street. Oh, oh
0: yeah. It's, it is uh, the South.
1: Yeah, it is the South. <laughs> so you're going to find... You know, you can go in there and, and mine gold. You know, it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I, I love it there. I love it there. And I, I just, um, I, I feel the same thing. I talk about singing the blues and being there just puts me, you know, in, in touch with who I am in a way that it is, it's hard to um, tap into in a lot of other places you know, yep. in the world. So. I agree. Well, look, I, 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 um, I'm, I'm so grateful for our, time and uh, and I hope we get to sing together.
1: Sometime. Oh, look. I want to do that. I don't know how that's going to happen, but as soon as this pandemic is over, maybe we can especially since we're both represented by the same person, <laughs> we can get her to to uh hook us up.
0: I would love in terms that. Of w- a
1: performance.
0: I'd be honored. I I just oh, it, so it, would it, I. and it fill my soul. So yeah, let, let's please let's please work on that. All right. That's, that's a peaceful. deal. Yeah. I love
1: it. Uh, well, love Thank you for asking me to participate in this. Uh, it's just wonderful. And let me know when it's completed.
0: Yeah. Okay. Big hug to you. All right. Back at you. Thanks, Vanice. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Venice Thomas. Thanks to Betsy Brown for connecting us again. And thanks you for listening. Listen to Vanessa's music, listen to Rufus Thomas's music, listen to Carla Thomas's music, listen to blues music, get under the uh, tip of the iceberg there and explore the, the broader genre. Thanks for listening, I'll see you soon. Put together